when the angel appeared to Mary, the angel told her uh, from the Lord, the Lord said, I will give to him, this child, uh, the throne of his father David, and he shall reign forever and ever. Uh, This morning, as we continue through Luke, we're going to look at Christ exercising his office as king before his crucifixion uh, when he cleanses the temple. So we're going to look at the cleansing of the temple this morning uh, and see what Jesus says about it. Uh, For our scripture reading, uh, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 7. The context of this as we read through it is Jeremiah uh, lived through the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, He prophesied about it. Uh, One of the objections that he got uh, was that because the temple of the Lord was in Jerusalem, God would never bring judgment. God is stuck with Israel because his presence is in the temple. Uh, And so they they accused Jeremiah of treason. Uh, for proclaiming that the temple would be destroyed, uh, and blasphemy for saying that God's temple would be overthrown. This is why he kept running into trouble, um, because he kept proclaiming the word of the Lord. But this is his response to those who said that God would never overthrow Jerusalem because his presence is in the temple. Jeremiah chapter 7. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not not trust in these lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, If you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord." But go now to my place which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore I will do to the house which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to this place which I gave to you and your fathers, As I have done to Shiloh, and I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. Thus the warning from the prophet Jeremiah. A reminder that God does not change. Uh, He is still uh, roused to anger with lying and stealing and murdering and committing adultery and false swearing and false idols. Let's come before our God in prayer. Father of lights, immutable, eternal, infinite God, you are the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. 
You are our God, and we are your people. Every word that you have spoken, you have fulfilled, and our eyes have seen your salvation. We remember the account of unbelieving Balaam when he saw this salvation from afar and cried out against his will that a star would arise out of Jacob. And that star has come to give light in our darkness, to guide our paths in the way of peace. You have led our fathers through the wilderness. You delivered them from all their enemies. You put your love upon them, even as you have placed your love upon us today. And today we rejoice with the whole world. We acknowledge that some are like Balaam, who do not believe the promise that they confess with their mouths. But you have always preserved a remnant, as we see this day. Father, this morning as we bless that light and proclaim that light, we pray that you would give boldness to your servants throughout the world as they proclaim the gospel of peace, that the goodness, that the light has come into the world. Open the hearts of your people. Call them from every kindred and tribe and tongue to bring their gifts and to bow before the Savior and to cast away their crowns and glorify you, the Savior of the nations that has come. Deliver us, Father, from the schemes and the cunning of the evil one. Plant our feet firmly that whatever darts he throws at us, we might make firm stand against him, against the world and the flesh and the devil that assail us without ceasing. Deliver us from discouragement, from pride, from despair. Deliver us from arrogance and false doctrine and cause us to place our trust in you alone for every good thing. We confess that we belong to you both in body and in soul and we are not our own. And these bodies are redeemed from the curse. And though we look for the day when we will be raised from the dead in incorruptible bodies, we pray, Father, that you would heal our diseases here on this earth. Grant us to be steadfast in our trials. Give doctors wisdom. Give peace and rest to our bodies. Deliver us from anxiety and worry and turmoil, both in body and in soul. For we belong to you. So give us health and patience. Strengthen us for whatever you call us to do. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for healing Roger and bringing him back to us and providing for all of his needs. And whatever you have for us, we know that it is good, for you love us. Teach us to look to your Son, that we might see that love for us, even when it appears dark, even when enemies surround us, even when our bodies fail, even when all of providence seems to conspire against us. Confirm us in that faith and cause us to see your love and goodness in the gift of your Son. We see your goodwill toward each one of us, that the world is not cast into hell, that men and women and children are still being called into your glorious kingdom. And for this we praise you and give you thanksgiving. Teach us then to be patient in our adversity and thankful in prosperity. Provide our needs today and cause us to trust in you tomorrow. And throughout our community, Father, bless the faithful preaching of your servants. Bless the reading of your pre- uh, reading and preaching of your word here this morning. Guide my lips and give us open hearts. And let's pray together. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. My text this morning is Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 45 through 48. Luke 19, beginning at verse 45. 
Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. We have just seen how all of Israel had welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem as the Christ, the Messiah, the promised anointed one. He was the king that was spoken of by all of the scripture. But when Malachi wrote that the Christ would come into his temple, he said, who will stand in the day of his coming? He's like a refiner's fire. He will purify with fire the sons of Levi. All Israel was expecting Messiah, but they were always expecting the Messiah to cleanse others. But Jesus starts in the temple. And we see this morning that he cleanses his church. The history of this exchange, the buying and selling in the temple. This buying and selling took place in the court of the Gentiles, the place that God had set up for the Gentiles to draw near, even though they were not allowed in the temple. No one circumcised person could be in the temple. Yet God's love for the Gentiles was seen in this area where they could come and pray and gather. But the leaders of the temple had turned it into a marketplace. It is true that it would have been a burden to bring the lambs to the temple. We read that Jesus and his family, for example, uh, came to the temple three times a year from where they lived in Galilee. It was quite a journey. The law recognized that. And the law said, when you bring your sacrifices, that's a long ways to go. We understand that. They said, you could turn it into money, Moses said, and you could bring the money. And when you get to Jerusalem... You can buy a lamb or a turtle dove or two pigeons and offer that as a sacrifice. This was what the shepherds were doing in the field at night. They were watching the flocks that were being raised to sell for sacrifices in the temple. The buying and the selling was not the problem. But greed got in the way. The provinces of Rome, including Galilee and Judea, used Roman money. Caesar's inscription was on the money. We know that. It said Caesar Augustus, son of God, or Tiberius Caesar, son of God. In Jerusalem, the ruling class were the Sadducees. They were the ones that uh, were okay with Rome. They welcomed Rome because Rome kept them in power. The Sadducees were the chief priests, the rulers, they made up most of the Sanhedrin and they saw an opportunity to keep people in their power. People don't give up their power easily. And so they devised this entire system. Roman money, with Caesar's description, would be unclean. How can you use unclean money to buy a lamb for the sacrifice? And so you would need to exchange that unclean money for clean temple money, minted and coined, of course, by the ruling class in Jerusalem, for a fee, of course. And this involved an entire bureaucracy of licenses and permissions and franchises where the booths would be set up where you could come in, stand in line, exchange your dirty Roman money for clean temple money, and then go to another booth and purchase a lamb and probably purchase the the, the 
the certificate of cleanliness given by the priests and so forth and so on. All of that commotion, the booths that sold the animals, the money changers, the overseers, the accountants, the hawkers, the bankers, the farmers, the accountants, all of them were in the court of the Gentiles. This was the place where God allowed all the nations of the world to gather and pray to the Lord in anticipation of the coming of Messiah. Isaiah talks about the sons of the foreigner coming to the holy mountain of God, joyful in the house of prayer, offering burnt offerings and sacrifices and accepting them on his altar when that day comes. And then he says in Isaiah 56, verse 7, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather him Gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. That's all of us, the Gentiles, being gathered in together to Christ. Isaiah is prophesying not only would the outcasts be gathered, but God would also gather the foreigners, all the nations, so much so that his temple would be called the house of prayer for all nations. The rulers of Israel showed what contempt they had for the Gentiles by setting up their booths in the courts of the Gentiles right outside the temple proper. The commotion would have made it impossible to spend any time in prayer. But the purpose of the temple was a place where God revealed himself. Using the idiom of the Old Testament, he says, this is the place where I have placed my name, where God's attributes, his mercy, his grace, as well as his justice was revealed and proclaimed from the temple and seen in the sacrifices and ceremonies of the law. All of it pointed to Emmanuel, God with us. The glory of the Lord had before settled in the Holy of Holies and God dwelt in the midst of his people. And that favor and protection and love were proclaimed daily in the temple. But the nation of Israel despised it, meaning they considered it a very little thing. They showed so little regard for God's presence that they turned the glorious opportunity of meeting with the Lord into a business. What mattered to them was not that God was in their midst, that the world was being redeemed and that the kingdom of God was coming and being proclaimed, what mattered was holding on to power and control and the building of bank accounts. And thus, as Ezekiel said, they fed themselves rather than feeding the sheep. In Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel and says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them Jesus day was very similar to the days of Jeremiah and Ezekiel Jeremiah denounces the temple when they said to them temple the temple the temple is here 
as if God's presence guaranteed that they would be safe no matter what atrocities they committed. So while they worshipped God in the temple, they committed adultery, abused and oppressed, lied and stole, and used the power that God had given them for good to enrich themselves while the sheep went hungry. As Ezekiel says, the sheep were not tended. They were not cared for. They were not welcomed and fed and gathered together. But they were ruled with force and cruelty, driven away and trampled underfoot. Jesus at one point saw the multitudes and it says he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. It's like it could have been written in our day. Instead of becoming a place of safety for the sheep, instead of it being the house of God where God met with his people in peace, the leaders, according to Luke, turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus is quoting Jeremiah here, but look at that language. A den, a den of robbers, is a hiding place. A hiding place for highwaymen. The highwaymen would lie in wait for rich travelers on the road, and they had a den that they would hide in to escape from the authorities. There they would find protection and be hidden from consequences. In a den of thieves, highwaymen and robbers were protected and safe and hidden from prosecution. Would a traveler be safe inside a den of highwaymen? Would a sheep be, a sheep be safe in a den of wolves? Thus, the people of God were not safe in the temple of God. I can think of no worse affront to God than to use his church, his temple, his words to protect the abuser, the robber, the murderer, the rapist, the adulterer, while the people of God are trampled underfoot. We hold to the promise that God will not allow that corruption to go unpunished. And thus we see even before Jesus' exaltation to glory, his zeal for the house of the Lord in cleansing his temple. When we speak about Jesus, when we use the term the Christ, we're talking about him as the anointed one. He's anointed, first of all, as the king, the seed of David. Gabriel said to Mary, he will be great, he will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. One of the duties of the king, the heir to David, was to cleanse the temple. We see Josiah cleansing the temple, Hezekiah cleansing the temple. The godly kings would cleanse the temple, and here Jesus is cleansing his temple. As the king reigning over the house of Jacob forever, he has the right and the duty to cleanse his people, to drive out evildoers and protect the sheep. It's the duty given to him in Psalm 72. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy. He will break in pieces the oppressor. The day is coming when he will do this in its fullness. But until then, he still does cleanse his church. He still tears down wicked shepherds. And even though his people are often in caves and wandering in fields and woods, he still gathers, defends, and preserves his people. For he is the king over the house of Jacob forever. 
He's not only anointed as our king, he's anointed as our priest. In Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The high priest is charged with intercession for the people, the prayers of the temple, and the purity of that temple as well. Malachi said that the coming priest would purify the sons of Levi, that they would offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. And so as the priest, Jesus cleanses his temple. In a few days, he will take his body, the temple of the living God, and offer it as a sacrifice for sin. And he will rise again on the third day, a perfect, acceptable offering for sin taking all of our sins and nailing them to the cross and cleansing his temple. He is our high priest is still today making intercession, still washing us with his blood, still hearing our prayers. And even when the rulers and the ones with power are doing everything they can to protect the wolves and destroy the sheep, our high priest and our king will not allow them to take us from the hand of God. He will come in judgment and he will destroy the oppressors and make intercession for his people. Then in our text, notice what he does when he drives out all the money changers. He sits down and teaches. For he is not only our king and our prophet or our priest, he is also our prophet. He is the true shepherd, the promised one who gathers and teaches and defends and preserves that reveals the will of God concerning our redemption. He's that prophet promised by Moses. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear, according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb at the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not again hear the voice of the Lord my God, nor see this great fire any more, lest I die. The thundering from Sinai was too much for Israel. And so God promised them a prophet, like Moses, called from the midst of the brethren. One who would be born in a stable in Bethlehem, grow up in Nazareth, and then come to his temple and sit down and teach his people. And he is doing that even today. He's speaking in the name of God and the temple of God after having cleansed the church of God. And in our text, the leaders of the temple are doing exactly what the prophets said they would do. They're plotting his destruction. Jesus in our text makes a promise to us. We know from the Gospel of Luke that Jesus came to seek and save his people. It was the revelation of God's goodwill toward men. As Luke continues in the book of Acts, we see Jesus pouring out his spirit on the day of Pentecost. And the church became the house of the living God. The glory, just as the glory filled the Holy of Holies in the Old Covenant, so the temple fills the church in the New Covenant, the temple of God. And God continues to meet with his people by his word and spirit. And just like in Jesus' day, the temple of God is still under attack. There are still wolves that devour and destroy. The den of robbers is always with us. 
But throughout history, Jesus always cleanses his church. He loves his bride and he sanctifies her and makes her beautiful. And the weapons that Jesus uses are not pretty. In fact, we read of the four horsemen that Jesus uses to cleanse his church in the book of Revelation. War, famine, plague, death. But Jesus cleanses his church. There are always those who seek to destroy her, who beat and molest the sheep. They use the people of God to satisfy a need in themselves. Whether it's a lust for sex or for money or for power or for recognition or for reputation or for control. The sheep are sacrificed to the lusts of the leadership. But Jesus is coming in judgment. He prefigures that judgment with a whip of cords which he uses to drive out the animals. He turns over the money changers' tables. He throws them all out. And they find a way to set up again. Because the kingdom has not yet fully come. But the day will come, as we read in Revelation 22, when God will set up his kingdom and he says, an outsider, dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. These days today are the days when the goodness and the forbearance of God should lead to repentance. But we still see wickedness and oppression in the church. We still see the weak destroyed and driven away by those who seek to enrich themselves and hold power over others. The leadership likes the greetings in the marketplaces. They love the big conferences and the mutual book deals and the mutual endorsements. And so when abuse and assault happen, they circle the wagons and protect the big money makers who are often the sexually immoral, the money changers, the thieves, the murderers and liars, and thus the church becomes a den of robbers. But Jesus still cleanses his church. And so think of this. If Jesus, before his exaltation, has such great care for the house of God that he would drive out the powerful money changers to clear the court of the Gentiles... How much more, now that he's exalted at the right hand of God and has been given all authority in heaven and earth, how much more will he cleanse his church and protect his sheep and gather together the outcasts today? It is true that sometimes the sheep need to flee. Revelation 12 tells us that, where the sheep flee, but the earth opens up and protects them because Jesus still protects his sheep. Sometimes the sheep gather in caves and fields to escape the wolves. It's happened before and it will happen again. Even in Jesus' day, the temple that he cleanses today will be destroyed tomorrow. For Jesus has ways of cleansing his church. But the promise is his sheep are always safe, protected, gathered, and fed because he is the good shepherd. His church is the pearl of great price that he came to gather for himself. The scripture tells us that we are a special treasure. The bride, the crown jewel, greatly loved by Christ, who gave himself that we might be cleansed and purified. And thus he will cleanse and purify the sons of Levi. He will drive out wolves. He will gather the sheep together wherever they are. 
For he is our prophet, our priest, and our king who has conquered. And he gives us the right to the tree of life. And so in Revelation 3 it says, He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess to you that the church is oftentimes in a mess filled with schism and heresy and abuse and degradation and has become frequently a den of robbers. So, Father, cleanse your church. Lord Jesus, protect us, watch over us, keep us, preserve us, deliver us from evil. In your name we pray. Amen.